Hello River family, Pastor Corey here. Once again, I get to minister to you by way of video and really excited about what I'm going to be sharing today. Uh, just a quick report here in West Palm Beach. We're making progress. We are currently using our new building, just not the main sanctuary. So we are quite tight in our small space and we started inspections here and made some progress, had a few issues that came up and got a major one we're trying to overcome right now, but we've overcome a lot of things till now, so we're going to overcome this one in Jesus' name and really believe God with us that uh, Easter Sunday here, April 21st, uh, we'll be able to have our first major Sunday service, Sunday morning, and then have the grand opening. So that's the goal right now. It's a, it's a big faith goal, and we're really, it is possible. Some things really have to break through next week for that to happen, so um, be in prayer with us and believe God. Amen. Anyways, um, I'm excited about how the meetings went with uh, evangelist uh, Vincent Skinner, uh, that it was a powerful time. So, hey, I uh, began to speak to you uh, two Sundays ago about creating an atmosphere in which God can move and talked about the, the need for revival. And I mean, the need, uh, the vision of uh, River Istanbul Church and the need for revival and, and the continual pursuit of revival, because it is something we have to continually pursue. And I want to share something with you today from Matthew chapter 17. Go with me to uh, verse 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 through 8. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. You know, these three were the ones that he also took in uh, when he went in to raise the little girl back to life. So apparently these three are the most um, hungry ones the ones that are going to press in the most because that's what it's going to take uh, to see miracles. That's what it's going to take to see the glory of God released. You've got to have people. See, just having Jesus is not enough. He wanted to also take with him his, uh, three of his most hungry disciples, hungriest disciples, right? He led, up, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured, metamorphosis, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. So his entire uh, appearance changed, was transfigured, was transformed, was changed into the very image of the glory of God, reflecting God's glory. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Now these two, if you remember, Moses was the one that went up into the mountaintop and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights in the very glory of God where he received the revelation. Uh, he received the Ten Commandments written upon two tablets. But not only that, he received so much revelation that he came back down and he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Amen. And of course, his face was shining as the noonday sun and, and people could not bear to look at him. They actually wanted, the Israelites actually wanted him to cover his face because of the glory of God was so convicting. And of course, the, the greater the glory is, the greater the light is, the more the darkness is exposed. And then also Elijah, if you think about him, he was the one that went up into the glory of God in the chariots of fire. Amen. You know, in a chariot of fire. So these two uh, uh, experienced the glory of God in a tremendous way. And Elijah was the one that, you know, called down fire from heaven, you know, confronted the prophets of Baal in one of the greatest showdowns with a single man of God facing an entire uh, structure, an entire uh, uh, establishment of religion and demonic strongholds and I mean he was able to challenge them and just break through in an amazing way because God backed him up as fire. Hallelujah. And God backed up Moses with his glory. So glory and fire always go together. 
So Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. No kidding. <laughs> if you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now this is very interesting. Obviously tabernacle, the word tabernacle means a dwelling place. So let us build some kind of uh, a structure for you, for Moses, and for Elijah. And these are really basically three major times of revival in the Bible. Two under the Old Covenant, Old Testament, of course, Old Testament period. Even Jesus at this point still under the Old Covenant time period. But of course, this is now being, you know, uh, portrayed to us and, 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 and uh, revealed to us in the New Testament scriptures as we are reading now in the Gospel of Matthew. But Lord, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. The glory of God came like a cloud. Suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. I'm telling you right now, something incredible happens when you have an encounter with the glory of God. The fear of God will hit you like never before. You know, I've heard people talk about how they, you know, they saw the glory of God. They, were, they experienced the glory of God and they talk about it in such a nonchalant way. I know they didn't see the glory of God. You know, they talk about angels appearing to them and they talk about it like, you know, some little kid walked in the room. Absolutely not. If a holy angel of God, because God makes his ministers flames of fire, if a holy angel of God, which is really an awesome creature, walks into a place where you're at and you actually see him in, his, in the, the angelic being, in its angelic glory, you're going to end up falling on your face. You will not be able to, you know, take a selfie and, and smile and take a selfie with the angel. I mean, so I've heard people talk about stuff like this and in such a nonchalant way, and I know they did not have an, have an encounter with God because someone who truly had an encounter with God, with the glory of God, with the fire of God, will be shaken to their very core and it'll absolutely transform their lives and the fire of God and the fear of God will grip them and they will realize how awesome this is. This is something awesome. This is not something ordinary. This is something extraordinary. This is not something natural. This is something supernatural. Natural. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the fear of God hit them. Amen. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So I want us to stop here and look at what happened here. I mean, this is a, an incredible story, really. I mean, for Peter, James, and John, these three unlearned men, fishermen from a small uh, a coastal village on the Sea of Galilee, fishermen. I mean, this is just an incredible experience. I mean, this is prior to Pentecost, okay? This is prior to Pentecost. So what they're experiencing is something incredible, something amazing. The same thing that Moses experienced on the mountaintop. Elijah on Mount Carmel, on the top of the mountain where the fire of God fell. fell. You know, the Lord, you know, the God who answers by fire is the Lord. And then he was able to take out the prophets of Baal and, and the whole establishment demonic structures were destroyed. I mean, this is just something, something incredible. When the power of God comes, and here is Peter, James, and John. They've never seen anything like this before. Until now, they have never seen Jesus like this before either. <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, they had only heard of Moses. They had only heard of Elijah, but they now actually get to see them. 
and then they have they had never seen Jesus like this before. I mean, they saw Jesus perform miracles. They saw Jesus touch people. But then now they are actually seeing Jesus in the fullness of His glory. And the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that Jesus is the, the, is the reflection of the glory of the, of the Father. Or the fullness of God's glory dwelt in Him. But they only saw Him in the natural. But now they are seeing the glory of God shining through Him as his appearance is transfigured, and not only that, that the cloud of glory comes, and they're on their faces, man. I'm telling you right now, when the, when the glory of God comes, you're going to end up on your face. Hallelujah. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, how come people are falling in your meetings? Well, I guess your mother never told you they're falling because they can't stand up anymore, you know. And I'll tell you, something happens when the power of God, the glory of God comes, this physical body will not be able to take much of it. Amen. That's why we're going to have to have glorified bodies when we get to heaven. Otherwise, we're going to end up just crawling around on our falls, on our, four, uh, on our fours, you know, uh, hands and, and knees, and then we're going to be on our faces all the time. So uh, we're going to have glorified bodies that will be actually able to withstand the glory of God because in heaven there is no sunlight, there is no moonlight, there is no natural light, but the glory of God is the supernatural light that fills everything, and we're going to be literally uh, baptized and immersed in the presence and the glory of God for all of eternity. But you know what? We don't have to wait for that because people have experienced the glory of God here on earth. Moses did. Elijah did. Here's Jesus, of course. And then here's Peter, James, and John. And God is no respecter of persons. When you're hungry and thirsty for God, for His presence, for His glory in your life, He will come and visit you. Amen. And so what we see here is Jesus took three of His disciples... And went up on this high mountain, the three, which I call the inner circle of the twelve. You know, he had the multitudes, then he had the seventy, then he had the twelve, and then he had the three. This is the three, the inner circle, because of their faithfulness, their hunger, you know. And I tell you right now, you must go up to a higher place to see the glory of God. And you must isolate yourself from the crowds and press in in that high place and it's not necessarily physically a high place in this case it was physically a high place but this physical high place is symbolic of you separating yourself to go up higher in the things of God to experience things you have never experienced before here's Peter, James, John experiencing something they've never experienced before Jesus gave them the opportunity and he gives you the same opportunity today it's going to take faith and hunger and they witnessed the glory of God. Moses and Elijah, these were symbols of leaders of revival, symbols of times of revival in the history of Israel. And some of them, I mean, obviously they came in the darkest time. Moses came in one of the darkest times when people of God were in slavery and were enslaved by Pharaoh and there was a supernatural deliverance that, that, that God wrought for them and brought them out with silver and gold and there was not one sick or feeble among their tribes. And then, of course, Elijah, another... Uh, man of revival, leader of revival, someone that pressed in. And he even thought that he was the only one. And God said, you know, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 others. But of course, when you are, you know, spearheading and the move of God and contending for revival, when you're at the cutting edge of revival, I mean, you're going to face the greatest opposition and, and, and you're going to have to confront some major things. And Elijah was the man of God that confronted the prophets of Baal. Amen. And the prophets of Jezebel. And so with Ahab and, and Jezebel, the evil king and queen, and this whole, and of course the whole nation, 
is now been sucked into this deception, this demonic deception and bondage, and Elijah had to break through. Break through, and it took the fire of God for him to break through. And it took the fire of God and the glory of God for Moses to break through. It's going to take the fire of God and the glory of God for you to break through whatever you are facing. And, and that's why it is so important to be on the cutting edge of revival. Never lose your hunger. Never settle for anything less because you will not be able to break through with what's coming. The only thing that's going to have you ready and, and keep you ready for what's coming Whatever you're going to face, whatever opposition, whatever situations and circumstances, even na nationwide stuff, it's going to take the glory of God and the fire of God in your life. Without it, you will not be able to make it. And now think about this. These three witness the glory of God. And then Peter, of course, opens his mouth, you know, in verse 4. And then he comes up with a plan. It, this is the plan of man. This is what kills revival. When men get their hand on things, when men try to control the move of God, when men try to add on to the glory of God, when men try to pile something on that shouldn't even be mentioned, that, that's not even a part of the plan and purpose of God, he wants to make three tabernacles. Basically, he wants to build three denominations, you know. I, I, I always jokingly say, he wanted to camp out and form some kind of a holy place. And I'll tell you right now, when you look at, when you look at, certain church movements or denominations or, or church movements that have come, you know, that have happened throughout history. And, you know, one of the things we teach is revival history and church history in the, in the River Bible Institute. And when you study out how God moved, you know, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, just recently, just recently now, just recently now, the Methodist Church, the United Methodist Church, actually came together because the western part of the United Methodist Church was... Uh, wanting to vote to establish homosexuality and, and ordain gay and lesbian bishops and marry gay and lesbian people in the church. That's where they were at. Thank God for the Asians and the Africans in the United Methodist Church that came to the rescue of some sanity and of true, holy, godly morality and they were able to outvote the bishops or whatever the church leaders in the whole you know, United Methodist you know, council, world council. This just happened last week, okay? They were able to outvote them just by a several dozen votes to keep the biblical definition of marriage and to obviously not allow homosexuals to be ordained as bishops and church leaders and pastors in the United Methodist Church. Now, think about this. Now, you go back just to the 1700s, okay? In 1720, 1730, John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley were two Anglican priests who came to the United States of America, back then the colonial America, on a ship to be missionaries, and they totally failed. They weren't even born again. They were just religious. They weren't even saved. And they were basically broken, discouraged. They got on a boat to go back to England, and on the boat they met Moravian missionaries. Now, there was an incredible revival that took place in Moravia. Moravia today is the Czech Republic, okay? 24 men and 24 women dedicated to themselves to praying for revival. And they prayed for years and then revival broke out. And God used them in such an incredible way that it is recorded in history that the Moravian revival and the Moravian missionaries were able to do more for world evangelism in 20 years than the previous 200 years of the entire church combined, global church combined. And so John Wesley met these Moravian missionaries. 
they preached to him and they, and they were spirit filled. Fire of God had fallen on them and they were going all over the world preaching the gospel, spreading revival. And John and Charles Wesley, these two brothers, got, they got touched. They realized that they weren't even saved. They had nothing to give to people. So when they got back to England, they started to have prayer meetings and the glory of God fell. And if you read John Wesley's memoirs, he talks about people weeping, wailing, falling on the floor, laughing uncontrollably, speaking in tongues, praying all night. I mean, having all night prayer meetings. And God used them to spark an amazing revival that came to be known as the Methodist revival because they had a method for seeking God for revival, okay? Which was really prayer and pressing in, hunger and thirst. And then they had amazing things. And then George Whitfield was another Englishman that got touched in the Methodist revival in England and ended up coming to colonial America and sparked the first great awakening in America to where it was incredible. Can you imagine this? George Whitfield used to preach to 20,000 people. He went to Boston when the population of the city of Boston was 20,000 people and he preached to 25,000 people in an open air meeting without sound systems. In, in the city of Boston, they had to ban people from climbing the trees. There was a city ordinance that was passed in, in New England where they, had, they banned people from climbing trees because while the preachers were preaching, power of God would fall on them and people were falling out of the trees. Their arms and legs were being broken. And then that ordinance lasted was still in effect almost a hundred years later where people didn't even know why they couldn't climb trees. People were asking a hundred years later, why can't we climb trees? Well, it was because of the revival. And that revival shook the 13 colonies, rebellious colonies in America and united them, one nation under God. And then the Declaration of Independence was written and it was basically based on the prophecies and the preaching of the great uh, awakening preachers of the 1700s and it, and it shook America and formed this nation that became the breadbasket of world missions and the center of revival for the last you know 300 years and the second great awakening and then of course what happened after the Azusa Street outpour and the Pentecostal revival of the early 1900s and then the healing revivals and then the great evangelists that came out going all over the world holding healing crusades and Africa was touched tremendously by those people but you know what's happening now in America, it's, you know, we got to see another move of God in the same thing. There was an out of the second great awakening in the United States, which took place from 1800 to 1830s. Missionaries came out of America to the Ottoman Empire. And in the 1800s, for, the five, for 50 years, from the 1830s to about, well, to about 1880s, 1890s, there was such an amazing outpouring of the Spirit of God, especially mainly among the Christian minorities, the Armenian, the Greek, Orthodox, Catholics, and all that kind of stuff, and the Chaldean and the Assyrians. But then many Ottoman Turks were also saved. And then, of course, they were ostracized. And there were even Ottoman Turks who, from Muslim backgrounds who got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. They were pastoring congregations of Armenians and Greeks. Incredible, incredible. Over 800,000 people were born again in that 60-year revival in, the, in Ottoman Turkey. And of course came the great persecution, the 1890s, and of course leading up to 1915, the great persecution of the, the Christians where they were pretty much almost wiped out the population or many of them were forced to convert to, to the religion of Islam. But I mean, revival is, I mean, there is revival. Revivals have taken, but you see, now you come. Think about where Paul preached. It was Turkey. The early Gentile churches were in the geographic location of Turkey. You know, now there's almost 
You can almost find nothing. But you know what? God is doing something. There's a revival coming, an awakening coming, and, and stirring. But you know what? It takes prayer. It takes hunger. It takes people preaching. It, and it's going to require the glory of God. It is impossible for us to see a nationwide awakening, nation-shaking awakening, without the glory of God, without the fire of God. But we cannot add something to it. We cannot. Peter was just trying to come up with some idea. And God's like, shut up. You know, the father's like, shut up, shut up. What do you think you're doing? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Be quiet, hear me, hear him. Just forget about man's plans because man's plans, denominational stuff, structures, ruin revival. The greatest enemy of the move of God in the church is the church. We've got to allow God to come and do whatever he wants to do. And we've got to take our hands off and not try to touch the glory of God and not try to take the glory of God and fit it into some kind of man-made structure. And that's the problem. Even you look at a lot of these Pentecostal churches, even coming out of Africa and other countries, they got so many rules and regulations and traditions that they, you know, they claim to be spirit-filled, but Holy Ghost really cannot move spontaneously and freely because everything still fits into some kind of a box. You cannot move God in a box. Every major denomination, look at these United Methodists, started out with revival, and look at now, Look at what they're dealing with just under 300 years later. I mean, by the mercies of God, just by a couple of dozen votes, you know, this church movement that started out just under 300 years ago with an outpouring of the Spirit of God, great revival that not only shook the United Kingdom, America, and even many places in Europe, now, by just by the mercy of God, just by a few dozen votes, did not fall into the end-time apostasy of ordaining homosexual bishops and marrying homosexuals in the church. But, you know, and it's only because of the United Methodist uh, preachers, mainly coming from Africa and, and, and Asia and South America, that, you know, still had the Word of God, that was still holding on to the Word of God with conservative values that prevented this from happening because the church here is gone. I mean, the United Methodist Church in America has is, is been gone a long, long time. And this is the church movement that shook and caused the, the, the colonies to become one nation under God and, and ushered in the birth of a nation that became really a breadbasket of revival. You know, think about that, the Great Awakening. And all these preachers were Methodist preachers. Now look at what's happening. You know, it's, it's just incredible. Um, that's why we have to contend for revival. Every generation has to contend for revival. And every major denomination we see started out with revival and usually a, a man of God that was hungry, that had the touch of God, and then pressed in and, 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 and just begin to spread and revival and, and begin to blaze the trails of revival and carry the presence and of the glory of God to a nation, to a generation. Amen. With a revelation of the light of Jesus Christ, who He really is. Amen. But then they turn it into some kind of a tabernacle, a building. That's why, I mean, we need buildings, but building, we don't worship buildings. Buildings are not end all, be all, you know. Think about all that we've been able to accomplish in, in, in Turkey out of the last 20 years just from two small buildings, but because it's not the size of the building, it's the, it's the size of the fire, it's the size of the hunger, it's the size of the faith, amen. That's why we must never allow that to happen in Turkey, amen. The cloud of God, the cloud of glory rolls in and the, God the Father speaks. When He speaks, you get revelation. You hear the voice of God in the presence of God. And when the presence is gone, Revelation stops and all the things of the flesh, man's reasoning kicks in. That's why all these churches where they were just 20, 30 years ago in revival, 100 years ago in revival, now you couldn't even find one drop of the anointing, you know, 
because the next generation did not press in and contend for the anointing, and man got their hands on stuff and messed it all up. Amen. And they were afraid when the glory of God came in. They dared not move. They dared not interrupt. They were humbled. Flesh gives way in the glory of God. And then Jesus touched them. And that's what happens. Jesus will touch you. Jesus will touch you uh, in that place where you come in contact with the glory of God, where you have an encounter with God. And when they lifted up their eyes, this is such a key verse, they saw no man, only Jesus. I want you to make sure that you see no man, only Jesus. That you don't look to me. You don't look to Pastor Godwell. You don't look to some visiting evangelist, but you've got to, and it's great to come to meetings and sit under the ministry of great anointed men of God, but ultimately you have to come to a place in your personal life where you are hungry and thirsty. You're pressing in personally for the Lord to touch you and fill you continually where you stay fresh. You stay in that fresh fire. You know, there was no one there on November 12, 1995 when the glory of God came in just like this, like a wave and just touched me. And I saw Jesus in all of His glory and splendor and I was shaken to my very core. I've never been the same again. And I always tell that I was born again, again, you know, because after I got born again out of the religion of Islam, I ended up with the Southern Baptists, you know, who didn't preach, you know, baptism in the Holy Ghost, fire of God. You know, as far as they were concerned, there were no miracles, no signs, no wonders, no baptism in the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not in operation. You know, so I didn't get exposed to any of that in church for a number of years, but I got hungry and thirsty for more of God and I pressed in. So, you know, this is what we have to understand, you know. We've got to continually press in for revival and we've got to come to a place because it's ultimately you having a personal encounter with the glory of God, with the presence of God, and with the fire of God that's going to make a difference in your life. Otherwise, without the presence, just like Moses said, Lord, if your presence does not come with me, I'm not going. I'm not going unless your presence is there with me. Amen. And he cried out to the Lord. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord made all of his goodness to pass before him. This is the kind of hunger that you have to have to stay in revival. This is the kind of hunger that we have to have in the local church to keep the fires of revival burning and fresh. We got to continually stir up the fires of revival. We got to continually stir up the gift of God, rekindle the flames and just keep pressing in. Never be satisfied because look at Peter. He wanted to stay at that place of glory and Jesus said, no, that's not how it works because you are supposed to be changed from glory onto glory onto glory. Jesus, like, I don't want you to make a tabernacle for me, for Moses and Elijah. Do you understand me? Our time will pass, but Peter, James, John, your time will come. You are the ones who have to be touched with the glory of God. You are the ones who have to carry the glory of God. Don't just look to us. Don't just look to us. Don't just admire us. Don't just try to build some kind of a building, some kind of a memorial, some kind of a museum to remember Moses and Elijah. Their time is past. It is now your time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And I'm here to tell you right now, your time has come. You are the one. This is the time. This is the place for you to get a hold of the glory of God and rise up to be who God has called you to be. Mashakanda. I tell you right now, I'm telling you, 
Something big is about to happen. Something huge is about to overflow. And God is looking for men and women who will make themselves available. God is not looking for people of ability, but God is looking for people of availability. Many of you in the natural, you think that you're not able. But you know what? God is able. And all he's asking is for you to become a vessel, to become available. Amen. God is not looking for people that are qualified. Amen. God will find people who are hungry and will qualify them by his presence. Because it is his presence, it is his glory, it is his fire that will qualify you to be what God's called you to be and to be able to accomplish supernatural things. Those who know their God will do exploits. Amen. And it is time of the greater works. For Jesus said, greater works than these ye shall do because I go unto my Father. Hallelujah. And that's what Jesus wanted Peter, James, and John to understand. That the same glory that was upon him was the glory of the Father. And that after the resurrection, the glory of the Father, the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost, will be sent upon them. And they shall be filled with the, the Holy Ghost, begin to speak with other tongues, just like it happened on the day of Pentecost. They would become the temples. You and I would become the temples that are filled with the glory of God, the cloud of glory filling us. We become carriers. We are the tabernacles. We are not looking to a building because you and I are the building. You are the building. You are the building who's supposed to be filled. You are the building who's not supposed to be planted in one location, but you are the building that's supposed to travel and carry the glory of God to a lost and a dying generation to the nations of the earth. Hallelujah. And God will use you to release His glory upon mankind. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.